Storefront Games podcast, episode number four, where we'll be talking about scary stories and where I have done this intro four times. <laughs> we've been trying to get this podcast together for the past like half an hour. We've been sitting in Colin Kira's house for an hour, having the crack, and now <laughs> it's really hard to get started. But anyway, this week we're going to tell scary stories. We all did our own research each and we have a few stories to read, so... I'm going to start us off, by the way. Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hello. 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 So I'm going to start us off with um, a story from This American Life, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And when I heard this story, this ghost story, I thought it was really interesting. So this story comes from the American Journal of Ophthalmology. And it was written, I think it was from a series of letters that were given to a doctor by a patient and her telling her story of what was happening in her house. So on the 15th of November in 1921, a family moved into a rambling old house. So it was out of repair and the it was lit by gas lights, there was no electricity, so it was pretty run down. But the letter, I'm going to read it now, um, sections of it anyway, and this is how, it's, how it goes. Mr. H and I had not been in the house more than a couple of days when we felt very depressed. The house was overpoweringly quiet. The servants walked about on thickly carpeted floors so quietly that I could not even hear them at their work. One morning, I heard footsteps in the room over my head. I hurried up the stairs. To my surprise, the room was empty. I passed into the next room and then into all the rooms on that floor and then to the floor above to find that I was the only person in that part of the house. Sometimes after I'd gone to bed, the noises from the storeroom are tremendous, as if the furniture was being piled against the door, as if china were being moved about, and occasionally a long fearful sigh or wail. Sometimes, as I walked along the hall, I feel as if someone were following me, going to touch me. You cannot understand it if you have not experienced it, but it's real. As I was dressing for breakfast one morning, B, who's four years old, came to me and asked why I'd called him. I told him I'd not called him, that I'd not been in his room. With big and startled eyes, he said, but who was it that called me? Who made that pounding noise? I told him it was undoubtedly the wind rattling his window. No, he said. It was not that. It was somebody that called me. Who was it? And so on he talked, insisting that he'd been called and for me to explain who it had been. So while they're in this house, they've been they've been having paranormal symptoms like they're being held down in their beds at night. They've been feeling sick. The plants were dying. All sorts of stuff was going on. Some nights after I've been in bed for a while, I feel as if the bedclothes have been jerked off me. And I've also felt as if I've been struck on the shoulder. One night I woke up and saw sitting on the foot of my bed a man and a woman. The woman was young, dark and slight, and wore a large picture hat. I was paralysed and could not move. So eventually, uh, Mr. H's brother comes to them with kind of a thought of what might be happening. Mm -hmm. And he explains that perhaps they're being poisoned. So he had read a story about a family who were poisoned by gas, who had similar curious delusions, and he advised them to see a professor about it at once. So after a quick investigation of the house, they found out that the furnace was sending carbon monoxide fumes into the house instead of up the chimney. So they fixed that problem and all of the symptoms stopped. So when the guy on This American Life was, the guy who found the story was talking to host Ira Glass and he was asking like, you know, is it possible for carbon monoxide to cause all this? And this is quote of what he said. No question about it. Carbon monoxide poisoning can cause all manner of hallucinations. Audio, visual, feeling strange, things on their skin when there's nothing there. Um, 
He also said people often report that they hear ringing noises in their ears, like bells ringing or rushing sounds, which I thought is just like, this story is everything. It's a great ghost story. And from all the stories from years ago, like people would be like, oh, how come people have, you know, the same story in so many scenarios? Ghosts must be real. And it's like, maybe they're just all being poisoned from their gas lighting in the house. <laughs> I remember um, reading a story on Reddit, actually, that was really similar. Yeah. Well, similar as in it was like a, story about carbon monoxide poisoning but essentially this guy just posted a story online basically just saying i'm pretty sure someone is stalking me or just trying to mess with me or something but he'd been finding these like basically post-its mm -hmm. all over his house with his handwriting and it was like messages saying different things and it was like he, he was like i didn't write these and they're being left for me i don't know what they are and i don't know where they're coming from but it's my handwriting what and it's so fuck? strange and he was super paranoid and he was sure that somebody was breaking in and trying to mess with him. And then someone in the comments actually on that same thread said, you should get your house checked for carbon monoxide. You should leave right now. Open up all the windows and just leave and get some fresh air and have it checked. And he updated a few weeks later and he was like, yep, yeah, I had really bad carbon monoxide built up in my house and everything was just me being delusional because of that. He was his landlord or something was writing stuff. Or... Yeah, it was crazy. And it's just, he really believed that there was somebody fucking with him. And was... But you would. Yeah. Like, you're being poisoned. Like, yeah. that's so scary. And right. then, you know, remember those ads, like, get your carbon monoxide alarm because, mm. like, you can't smell it or it, there's no visual or... Oh, there is, though. There's a black... It comes up black on the wall, doesn't it? Carbon monoxide. <clears throat> I'm not sure. But there's no smell or... Maybe colorless, odorless gas. Yeah. Mm, that's what that chicken says. Chicken? <laughs> the chicken on the ad. Right. Sure if he says that, but he but yeah. <laughs> like that story, went, so the episode of This American Life is called um, Anna Call Was Coming From The Basement and I listened to it this time every year and I listened to it the other day and I was like, this episode is the best episode ever. So I just had to include that story. It's kind of a downer because it, it does kill your ghosty beliefs but at the same time it's such a logical rational explanation for all the people saying like oh no I was lying on my bed and there was somebody sitting on top of me I heard mm -hmm. someone call my name there was nobody there you know I like it's just explains everything and imagine as well like even like old Victorian <laughs> ghost stories and everything like that from just like block chimneys and yeah. things like that mm -hmm. that's Crazy. where they come from it's so funny because when you try to explain this to people they're like no and you're like no man yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're like no and you're like yeah <laughs> yeah man no seriously <laughs> you're just being poisoned but at least now you know like some symptoms I often wonder was the house we used to live in um, if we were having any of that because there was the chimney was blocked like pretty much the whole time we lived there like my whole life growing up and the smoke used to bellow down the chimney and I used to be like that's going to kill me one day <laughs> so you never know maybe no, I didn't well I'm not dead yet but right. <laughs> so yeah cool story I have to find that one that you were saying because mm. I really want to read it now it's a really good thread what's that story about the potatoes yeah oh yeah that, is that the same thing no it's a different one um, I can't remember the exact details but I'll go what I remember just off the top of my head but it was like um, and it's a true story as well but it was I think I can't remember I think it might have been in Russia or Eastern Europe or something like that but it was a thing where there's this family and they used to um, store potatoes in their basement and they 
like they went down like i think they used to grab them every now and again like they had a lot of, a lot of potatoes basically stored in their basement because i guess they like farmed them or something like that but they used to pile them up down in their basement and store a bunch of them and basically one day the dad of the family or whatever like say it was a family of like a husband and wife and three children and i think their aunt was there at the time also and the dad went down to the basement for something and he just didn't come back up and they were like that's a bit strange and they called his name and it was a bit dark down there and they called down and there's no reply they're like okay something bad's happened that's a bit strange so the wife went down into the basement and a few minutes went by and she never came back up either and it was like okay something strange is going on and then the aunt i think at the time didn't go down but she was thinking like what what is this this is a bit strange and then the eldest child went down and never came back up the second like eldest went down the middle child and they never came back up and it was like all these people are going down there and they're not coming back up and they were like, what the fuck? The aunts called, like, the police, I think. And uh, just before the police arrived, she curiosity got the better of her or whatever. She went down to, and she never came back up. But only the youngest child was left remaining when the police arrived. And they went down, and basically all of the people were dead. They had all been poisoned by a neurotoxin that was being released from potatoes. What? So, yeah. Don't store lots of potatoes and let them go bad because they will release a neurotoxin. And they'll kill you that quickly? I guess in a build-up in a small, like, enclosed space like that. My question is why they were going down the stairs individually. The fuck? My question is how many police officers had to die before they found out. <laughs> how many what? Police officers had to die. I was thinking that one called it. And they went down. And then when they came back up, they said... <laughs> everyone's fine but it could have been that they had so much exposure to it that they died and then Mm. mm. but uh yeah they it's crazy it's a true story yeah just the child survived that is so scary just quickly fact we live in a place of potatoes oh yeah here we go got it it's not even that long ago um so yeah russian girl ate orphaned after her entire family is wiped out by deadly gas by caused by rotting potatoes in the cellar that's insane Anyway, let's go to more fake stories. Yeah. So I was looking up loads of stories and then I couldn't decide. Every time I was like, oh, this is definitely the one. Then I'd click on a new one and I'd be like, oh, it's definitely this one. So it could have gone on and on forever where I would have constantly been replacing it. So I went with this one purely out of reading so many stories and kind of getting a bit brain dead from them. (laughs) So um, this is called Distorted Warning Signals. They're really campfirey. That's why I like them. Um, when I got the first one, I was literally seconds away from stepping onto the plane when a call from unknown blared from my cell phone. It was a ringtone I hadn't heard before, one I was pretty sure hadn't come with the phone. Normally, I wouldn't have stopped to answer it, but I was expecting a call about a job I had interviewed for the previous week. I took a deep breath in and accepted the call. Hello? Do not get on the plane. A woman's voice gargled and strange as if her vocal cords had been shredded and she was trying desperately to choke out speech. Despite the unnerving fractured quality of her voice, her tone was insistent and eerily calm. Then the call ended. I froze. I had always had a slight phobia of air travel and something about this call just... Well, there's no way I was about to get on a seven-hour flight now. I turned around and headed toward the food court. I'd just get another flight later that afternoon, I figured. 
I watched from the airport Starbucks three hours later as every TV in the terminal lit up with the crash footage of the plane I should have been on. No survivors, not a single one. I tried to trace the call. So did the police, but there was nothing to trace. There was no evidence my phone had ever received a call around that time. They analysed phone records, incoming and outgoing communication to my phone. Nothing. I wasn't making it up. I couldn't have been. That wasn't the only call. Throughout the years, there were few and far between, but always right, and I always listened. Do not go on that blind date tonight. A few months later, my would-be date was convicted of killing four women, all with my hair colour and build. Found them in a shallow grave about 250 feet from the diner he offered to take me to. Do not drive to the concert tonight. 18-wheeler lost control and ploughed into a line of cars. Every driver crushed, every driver killed. In the stretch of freeway, I would have been driving down. No matter if I got a new phone, if I moved across the country, the calls would still come. I could almost feel the presence of whatever it was, whatever it is, watching over me. I imagined being at the bottom of the freezing ocean, still strapped into my coach section plane seat, or being in the mass grave across from the diner, or watching an 18-wheeler truck slowly skidding towards my car, knowing death was imminent and I'd get this tightness in my chest. I think about how thin that line was and how close I'd gotten. If I hadn't had a job interview I was waiting to hear back from, I'd have never listened to that first call, and that would be it for me. It always felt like something was coming for me, but there was always this fractured, warped voice with these calls that never seemed to exist after I heard them. Self-destructing warning signals rotting away before my eyes, and I was alive. I had a bad feeling about this cruise. I had planned it as a girls' week out with some of my old friends from college and was looking forward to a week in the tropics in the dead of winter, but part of me could almost sense that the call was coming. Maybe I'd watched Titanic too many times, but there was a little nagging fear from the start. I hoped it would be fine, but I knew that if something was going to happen, I'd get the call. I'd know. Now, a week before I'm set to go on the cruise, after stepping into my apartment, after returning home from dinner with a friend, I notice my cell has a message from unknown. They've never had to leave a message before. I haven't checked it all night. Damn it, and I really wanted to go on that cruise too. Oh well, not worth the horrific death that awaited me. I click play and feel my stomach drop as I listen to the voice sounding horrifically distorted, as if it emanates from a throat slashed to ribbons, cackling with more urgency than ever before. I look around my apartment as the voice on the phone repeats the same phrase over and over again. Do not come home after dinner tonight. Oh shit, man. It's really good. I wasn't expecting that at all. I was like, where's the story going to go? It's on Creepypasta and it is by, let me get the name here, Ashley Rose Wellman. And it's class. That was good. It kind of reminded me of Final Destination a bit. And it also made me think about how whenever I get an unknown call, I never answer. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. It's, it was actually really fun. Like, as I said, I kept just reading them over and over again and they would just keep getting replaced. Like, Creepypasta has loads of good stuff on it. I've had many nights, like, going to bed where I've been like, I'll just go on Reddit and I'll have a read of a few stories. And then next thing, I've read, like, ten stories and I'm in bits. <laughs> I was reading them when I was looking up all the stories. I was reading them to one of the girls at work and she was so freaked out. Okay. She was terrified. Tell her this story because this one's really scary. Great. This story got me so bad. Like, so I was in college and I was doing a whole project on fear. And I was on Reddit and I was like, I'm just going to read a few stories. So me and a girl I went to college with were sitting there and I was like, I'm just going to read them out. Loads of them. So I didn't know what I was reading. I'd never read it before. This is how it goes. When I was a girl living in Texas, I had a reoccurring dream. In this dream, I was walking down the street of my hometown, and a man would walk toward me. Sometimes he was older, and sometimes he was younger. He didn't always have the same face, but I always knew he was the same man. He would get closer and closer, and I would know that something bad was going to happen. But I would wake up each time before he reached me, 
and I would be terrified. One night in my dream, we finally got face to face and I spoke to him. I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Sammy. And then I woke up. And I was so afraid that I couldn't go back to sleep. I went to my sister's room and said, can I get in bed with you? I've just had a really bad dream. My sister said, was it Sammy? I said, what did you say? How do you know Sammy? And my sister said, I don't, but you just brought him into the room with you. I turned on the lights and saw that my sister was asleep. (laughs) (laughs) That story creeps me out so much. That's a chilly one, all right. That is spooky. It's a real chilly, really. Yeah. Like, it's... uh, Who who was he and where is he (laughs) and what is he? You just brought him into the room with you. Stop. Like, things that, like, sound like somebody's voice that you know and trust and then you find Mm. out it isn't that, that's always scary. Yeah. I actually got the shivers. Uh, Have you heard that story before? I'm sure I've told you before. I feel like you've told me before, but I... I didn't recognize the start of it at all until she went into her sister's bedroom. It still works every time, though. I think when I've told it before, I never had the story exactly right. And I was trying to find it. I don't know who wrote it. Mm. The only reason I was able to get it is because, like, five or six years ago, I recorded myself saying it. So I was listening to it back and I typed it out and I googled, like, the first two lines. And some guy had shared it on his Tumblr. But he wasn't the writer. Because I originally found it on Reddit. So I don't... it didn't come up on Reddit. It didn't come up anywhere. So shout out to Anonymous who wrote a kick-ass, terrifying story that like left me dead inside. <laughs> All right. So the next story is one that like I found online like years and years ago, but it was always this, it was one of the first kind of horror stories that I read online that actually gave you that proper stomach sinking reaction, you know, that real fear. Okay, so there's a man who's on a business trip and he's checking into a hotel and he goes up to the reception and he gets his key and on his way up, um, the lady goes, oh, by the way, don't go onto the third floor. Just stay away from it. It's out of bounds. There's work being done there. Just don't go there. And the man says, okay, sure, no problem. And he goes up to the floor above it and he's just goes straight to bed. He, He does some work and he goes straight to bed. And that night he just has like really bad dreams and he's just a very restless sleep and he he doesn't really think anything of it and he gets up next morning and he and the woman is like, Oh, did you sleep alright? And he's like, No, no, I didn't didn't sleep great actually. There was just it was just really restless sleep. And she's like, Oh, sorry to hear about it. And then um he goes off and he does whatever businessy stuff he does during the day, business, and then he goes back to his room that night and he's working a little bit and then he keeps hearing these noises from downstairs and he's kind of like okay this is a bit strange and he knows there's construction or something going on down there but he but he thinks it's a little bit late and he he thinks about going down and he just decides not to and he just goes to sleep again just couldn't sleep properly something was just up and then he decides actually you know fuck it i'll go down and see what's going on and he goes down he goes takes the stairs down and he looks down the corridor and he sees this figure just pass by right from like one room to the other and it just appeared to be this woman wearing an all white dress and she looked pretty pale and he was like okay 
bit strange. And then he was kind of thinking, oh, I have no idea what's going on here. Maybe there's like some permanent resident here or something like that. And he decides that, hey, whatever. And he goes, goes to bed. And then the next night, same thing happens. He hears more noises and he's like, okay, I've got to go down and find out what's going on, what this lady's doing. And he goes down and he follows the noises all the way down to the end of the corridor on the third floor. And he hears them going from inside this room. And he is like, okay. And he tries to handle and it doesn't work. He knocks on the door and nothing happens. And he takes a look in through the keyhole to see what's in there. And he can't see anything. He just sees red. So he figures there must be something in the way. And he decides, okay, whatever. I'm not going to find out anything here. Goes to bed. Another rest of sleep. And and it's his last night there. And he goes down the following morning. And he's and the woman's like, oh, how's your stay? Is everything all right? And he's like, no, I was actually, I couldn't sleep almost every night. And there was all these noises downstairs. And she was like, you didn't go downstairs, did you? And he was like, oh, yeah, I, I went down. And uh, I saw a woman, and she kind of said, oh, I may as well tell you, there was a woman who was killed on that floor years ago, and her spirit haunts that place still. She's all dressed in white. She's completely white, and her eyes are red. I love that story. It's so good. It's so chilling. Yeah, I just feel like you can't beat it. It's class. Although I feel like your story and the Texas girl story and mm. that story all have that ending where you're like, yeah. where is this it's, going? They're just the it's best ending. A pulse of realization. Yeah. yeah. The best thing about those stories is when you tell them the other person just sitting there listening and then the look on their face of like, oh. <laughs> yeah, because those stories you're like, wait, like I leave the story. And you can tell for a lot of them, they're like, this isn't scary. Mm. This is really boring. And then their eyes are red. Oh no Jesus I lay in my bed Restless and alone On a dark and silent night I toss and turn in my bed Trying to find a comfortable spot But I feel uneasy Something about tonight Just didn't feel right I toss and turn Until I finally find A comfortable position I close my eyes But it doesn't make a difference It's too dark in my room To see a thing I guess it takes time for my eyes to adjust to the darkness. I lay there still and silent on a much still and silent night. My body is relaxed, my mind is blank. I'm ready for some much needed rest. Instantly the silence is shattered and my mind and my mind fills with fearful thoughts as my startled eyes flash open. It's almost undoubtedly the sound of a fist on glass, but no, it couldn't be. What would someone's motivation be to wake someone up alone in their own home? Think logically. If someone wanted to break in, why would they warn me with a knock? They would just break in, making a loud and obvious noise, or they try to be silent as possible. Why would they knock? Monsters don't exist. I could give myself some peace of mind and simply look out the window, but I'm facing the other way and I'm too timid to turn my head, afraid of finding my greatest fear standing outside my window. What could it be, though? Maybe a couple of birds flew into my window. Nope, that's too unrealistic. Could a group of kids be running around late at night? knocking on windows to get a few laughs. It's a possibility. Come to think of it, maybe it was my imagination. Maybe I heard the usual creak in the house and my paranoid mind has mistaken it for a knock. Nope, that definitely wasn't my imagination. Those damn kids are persistent. They don't want to quit until they get that reaction. Maybe some sick, twisted freak is standing outside waiting for me to look so he can smash through and attack me. No, don't think that. Don't get paranoid. Besides, he's outside. I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Monsters don't exist. Besides, I haven't moved yet. Hopefully those kids will think I'm a heavy sleeper and leave me alone. No, it can't be kids. No kid would wait around this long to get a reaction from one lonely guy. They just get bored and move along. But what could it be? Why would a serial killer target me of all people? Okay, think logically. Monsters don't exist, don't get paranoid. They're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. But if it's not a monster or some kind of killer, what could it be? Just pretend to be asleep and maybe they'll go away. 
Oh God, I can't think of a noise I hate more than that persistent knock. Please go away. Just leave me alone and let me be. There's no hope. I'm going to get in here. They're going to get in here and do sick and horrible things to me. Inhale, take deep breaths. I can feel my heart pound out of my chest. Just relax. Monsters don't exist. Remember, they're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Repeat that. Don't let any paranoia get the best of you. Just pretend to be asleep. Don't move a muscle. They're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Monsters don't exist. Just pretend to be asleep and pray it'll go away. They're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. Fearful tears begin to drop down my face. Monsters don't exist. Monsters do not exist. I begin to whisper to myself, they're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. They're outside, I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. I can't take it anymore. I'm going to go mad listening to these knocks. At least if I see what it is, I'll have a peace of mind. Take a breath. I repeat to myself one more time. They're outside. I'm inside. Until I hear a shatter, I know I'm safe. I take a few more breaths. My heart pounding as hard as it ever has pounded. At a mile a minute, I slowly turn my head and face the window. My heart sinks into my chest and I'm too afraid to scream or move. I turned my head to find a pale figure with beady black eyes staring through me and into my soul as a horrid grin creeps across its face. It was standing inside the whole time, knocking on my window. I feel sick <laughs> because that thought had occurred to me halfway through the story. But you were telling it so quickly, I was like, I am there. I feel like that's, you know, when you're lying in bed and you're being really stupid yeah, and you're just and like... all the thoughts. Yeah, and you're kind and then you're... And I remember being really, like, much younger and probably, like, yesterday and being under the <laughs> bed and under the covers. Remember when you were a kid and you'd hide under the covers and you'd be like, I'm so warm and I can't get out of under the blanket because I'm definitely going to get eaten. Like, it's that kind of panic thing where you have to reassure yourself you know you're mental like there's no well you know you're overreacting and there's nothing you can do like I really like the repetition yeah I'm outside they're inside mm. yeah <laughs> I like I'm inside they're inside <laughs> I like it but that's probably the part that made me think about the finale mm. before it happened yeah that's what made me think about it too but like monsters don't exist what the fuck was it all I could think of then was it was an alien I just for I could really picture being in my own bed and rolling over and just seeing that thing standing there like right like some people's bedrooms are really small so it's like like if that was my box room where I used to live it would be like uh, I'm outside I'm inside he's outside you wouldn't you wouldn't really get away with it actually I could probably just roll over and touch him (laughs) every time I hear a scary story I imagine the same room like yeah. It's not a room I've ever been in. Like, if there's, if there's somebody telling a scary story, somebody's in bed, somebody's in a particular room, somebody's doing something, I always picture the same room. It's like a room, like, pretty long, like this one. Um, so it's My God, this a rectangle. Is it. <laughs> and then on the top left, there's the bed lying against the wall, mm-hmm. and the window is just beside it. And then on the bottom right, there's the door. So... It's really far away. Oh, I always imagine it in relation to where I'm living at the time. No, I don't. I always picture that room. I've never been there. I don't know where this house is. Yeah. You know that um that story that's like, the, there's this cabin in the woods and he goes mm. in and yeah. there's all these paintings. Mm. I always imagine that the exact same every time. Like You should tell that story because listeners might not have heard it. Hannah wants to hear that story. Okay, so this this guy who's a hunter and he's off in the woods somewhere and... um. It's getting a bit too dark and he realizes he's actually not going to make it back to his truck in time. So he decides to go stay in his cabin that he finds. Um, and it's, the sun is just setting and he knocks on the door and nobody answers. And I, he thinks he thinks it's just like a hunter's cabin that's used like seasonally. So he pushes in the door and he gets inside and closes behind him. Um, so it's just kind of a small like square room cabin with a bed and a stove and not much else. And... 
as it gets darker and darker, he's just kind of taking in the room. It's all like wood panels and there's a bunch of paintings on the walls. And they're like, he's looking at them and it's, and he's hearing all these noises outside. And he's like, what is that? And it's just very strange. And he decides and he, he like lights the fire in the stove and the light is like flickering onto the walls and he's just, he's just distracting himself. He's like, I don't know what that is. It must be like deer or something running around or maybe foxes or something. And he's, um, he's, he decides to take a closer look at the paintings and he's looking at them and you're all these horrible faces and the candlelight and the fire light from the stove. And he just thinks this is so strange. And then the noises keep persisting all night long and then he eventually just gets to sleep and he wakes up in the morning and he realizes that there's only windows in the cabin. Ooh. Spooky. I liked it. <clears throat> it's the looking, isn't it? That they're just looking at you and you don't even know. I remember hearing that story and just thinking, it's just not realistic. Yeah, it's just like, oh, what, you don't realize that the paintings are 3D? Not even that. <laughs> like, there's loads of monsters and they're all looking at you. What, like... I people. imagined kind of like the hills have eyes people. Yeah, I always just imagined those people. I didn't. I'm always, I, I imagine monsters like. I think people oh, like a big fuzzy bear monster like thing. Like the lagoon monster. People do tell it with like demonic faces and stuff like that. But like, I always just tell it as people. It's one of those stories as well. The twist at the end and you're mm. like, that's the most It's not as good as <laughs> the red eyes. It's the poor eyes, man's yeah. red eye. Yeah. And it's shorter to tell. So this story is from the perspective of my three sisters, Lisa, Lorraine, and Caroline. So I rang them all and I actually didn't know. I heard the story multiple times from my sister, Lisa. Like she loves to tell the story. It's pretty freaky. And I didn't know, like I knew other people were there, but I didn't know Lorraine and Caroline were there. So I rang them today too and got their perspectives. And it's funny when you see what meets up, like it's pretty freaky. Anyway, my aunt lives in the north in County Down in Kilkeel. And she lives on a lot of land. So down the back of her house in a field was this old cottage. And when you come to the door, there's like this big wooden door that was kind of like, like barred up halfway, like boarded up. So like to stop animals coming in and stuff. So what they remember is they had to climb over half the door to get into the the cottage. So when you're standing facing the cottage, there's a window on the right and a window on the left. And there's two, there's wooden shutters covering the the windows so they climb over the door and they get in and um my sister lisa said she remembers my cousin karen sorry she said so there's lisa lorraine caroline my cousin karen my cousin liam and my cousin kieran and my sister lisa said that she remembers karen trying to open the shutters but they were pretty well stuck so she couldn't really open them but one of the rooms the room on the left was pretty bright so they could see into it so they all went in there first And there was a big brass bed that Lisa and Lorraine remembered. And they said all over the bed, there was no mattress, no nothing, but it was covered in letters, like all these handwritten letters. And um, Lorraine could remember there was a picture of this old woman, you know, sitting in the room. She said, I couldn't get the image out of my head. So my cousin Liam was fascinated with all the letters. He was like, we have to take these. Oh, I have to read these. Like, this is amazing. And there's all these old newspapers and he wants to take those as well. So Lisa was like, please don't, like, these things are meant to be here and I don't want to take anything from this house. Like, it's pretty creepy. So in the room on the right, two of my sisters remembered there was pretty big holes in the floor where there were no floorboards. It was pretty, like, risky walk. Um, And it was pretty dark in that room. They couldn't get the shutter open. So 
she remembered it was either my cousin Karen or one of the lads walked in and you could, they couldn't see much. It was dark. They could see, but they couldn't see very much. And she said they remember feeling a single bed there and there was a piano. And they pushed the keys in the piano and it was all out of tune. It didn't really work. So um, there, a few of them are still rummaging in the other room. And my sister Lisa opens the wardrobe door and a Bible falls out oh. backwards, God. which is like supposed to be a sign of the devil. So Liam is like, picks up all these letters, picks up the newspaper. And it's like, this is great. Like, I'm going to go home and read all these and all. And so they all remembered there being a bat in the room. So Lorraine said, when somebody moved the shutter, a bat flew out and we got out of there. Caroline said, I moved the shutter and a dead bat fell out. Lisa said, Karen finally got the shutter open and a bat flew out and they, they stayed in the place. So um, from Lisa's perspective, Karen finally got the shutter open and a bat flew out and they, it all gave them a jump. And maybe at that point, Lorraine decided I've had enough, I'm leaving. So Liam picked up his letters and his newspaper and he got to the front door and climbed over. Now, they were pretty small still. So there's like four or five years between three of my sisters. But so Lisa said she remembers being like third last to leave. She remembers like specifically because she, she remembers not being at the very back of the line. And Caroline said she remembers being at the back of the line. So because they're small, they're climbing over this thing. It's taken a few minutes. So three of the kids have already climbed over the door and are heading back up to the house, up the hill, through the field. And Lisa's halfway over when she hears the piano in the room start playing on its own. Full on playing. So she jumps over the door and legs it up. And Caroline said she her words were, there's a, a like a dreaded feeling like I was last. So she had to get over and like run the way up and then Lisa said she remembers telling the other cousins about it when I was talking to them all about it Lorraine didn't remember the piano playing Lisa and and Caroline definitely remembered it they were like it was really scary and from probably if Lorraine had already gotten if the bat flew out and Lorraine got over the door and was like I'm up the, I'm up the hill with Liam going off with our letters on our newspapers that sounds like a nursery rhyme <laughs> <laughs> and then Lisa's like still looking around and the two of them decide to leave because the bat didn't totally freak them out and then the piano like started playing like fucking I remember that house distinctly and I remember when I was a kid I used to spend weeks up north at my aunt's house and I remember walking down into the field and it was boarded up but there was like a, like a little sliver of light through the boards that shone on a picture of Jesus on the wall <sighs> And I remember being like, I am never going in there. But I was standing in the field on my own. And it was a good chunk. If you can think of like a huge field, like like a horse field, like mm. massive. And this house is on the other end. And my aunt's house is not only on the other side of the field, but still up through another garden to her house. So I was standing there outside the house going, I'm never going to go in there. But if, if anything happens now, I'm kind of caught. Like I have to run all the way up the field. But yeah, I remember standing outside it and being like, piano played in there you know, the fear of here. being a little kid and being last in the line so real like yeah everyone oh. knows that feeling of when yeah. you're stuck last and you're like just fucking go yeah <laughs> especially because you have an obstacle yeah. and there's two people in front of you like so scary not just feeling around and feeling the keys and being like oh it's out of tune it's kind of broken and then you're climbing over and the next thing 
And is it still there? Does your aunt still live there? She still lives there, but the small cottage down the back is gone. There's a house on top of it now, which I'm sure is haunted. <laughs> <laughs> they love playing the piano. Built on an old lady burial ground. <laughs> it was a really small house. It only had the three rooms. Like, you walked straight in. There was the sitting room and the living room. And then on the left, there was a bedroom. And on the right, there was a bedroom. But who, who lived there? Why were there loads of letters? It's so crap that like, because I would be totally in agreement with Liam of like, oh my God, yes, take all the things and read them all. That sounds great. You couldn't leave them behind and I definitely wouldn't be reading them in there. I, I feel like I couldn't take, so, do you remember when I, I would take it and read it and then give it back if I was brave enough to go back in, but I couldn't leave letters knowing that there was loads of information about it and I wasn't going to get to know it, you know? So when me and Kira were kids, <laughs> there's a hotel in Greystones called the Latouche and we used to kind of hop in this window regularly and have a look around. Now, it was totally graffitied, but there was lots of rumours that the Latouche was haunted by Lady Latouche. So we were at the reception. Now, the place is trashed, but we opened a door in the reception and there was loads of Bibles there. Do you remember that? I remember all the tapes, all the security yeah. tapes. It was so built up in our heads. And then Kira took one of the Bibles mm. and we were walking home later that day. We must have been 15 or 16. We were and I remember saying like, um, I, I wouldn't have taken that. And you were like, how many people do you think uh, died in the room the Bible was in and they could have been using that Bible as like their final prayers or whatever? And I was like, oh, get this thing away from me. Did I say that? Something like that. And then I just threw it in a bush. Yeah, we were walking back up and I remember you put it on top of a wall that had a bush on top of it. So it was sitting on the wall, but it was in the bush. And the next morning you woke up and it was beside your bed. No, the next day we went down, it was gone. Yeah, that's what I, like, who the fuck walked by there and was like, why the fuck is there a Bible here? They were like, huh, sweet free Bible. <laughs> I suppose then, realistically, I probably wouldn't have taken the letters in based on what my previous experiences, but I would have had to have read them. Is like it? somebody's life left behind in a standstill is mad like. I heard a thing recently that it's not like the hotel that puts the Bibles there. It's like missionaries and like Christian groups and they leave the Bibles there. I'd love to hear the rest of this story from my cousin's perspective. Yeah, yeah maybe he still has the letters. I would. I imagine he put them back. As far as Lisa was aware, that was the first time Kieran and Liam had gone down. So my auntie Mary, Kieran and Liam are uh, her sons, and that was the first time they'd gone down there. Maybe they were kind of too chicken. Yeah, you need a big gang when you're as a kid. It's mad though that a house just got built over it, and all that stuff would have just gone in the skip, and like there would have been some interesting facts in there. But like, isn't it the the perfect kind of? 80s kids story yeah. <laughs> where you go into a house and there's a dead bat and there's all these letters and picture of an old woman and treasure map and my sister said there was a proper old falling apart horse and cart at the side of the house that, that horse. is so cool a falling apart horse <laughs> a, an old horse cart at the side of the house that is so cool but could you imagine climbing over the door and it being dark one of the rooms is light so you go in there the other room is pretty dark, but you can kind of see stuff. Scary stuff. That's class. Yeah. David's story, he was saying earlier, it's not very... He kept saying it's not a scary story. It's a horror story. So I'm excited to hear what you have to offer because our stories so far have been pretty scary, I would say. So... Who's this by? It is by Vincent Michael Zito. I found it on Nightmare Magazine. Turn the crystal knob on your kitchen tap and shut off the water. Step back. Wave the air in front of you. Cough. Snort. Pinch your nose. Do whatever you must to clear the repulsive smell clogging your nostrils as if you've just inhaled rotten meat. 
Think of the dead crab you found when you were 10 years old, its body washed to shore in sandy mount, and you brought it home and kept it all summer long in an empty pickle jar on your dresser. Even as the crab's shell turned sick dark grey and erupted with crawling pink worms that scavenged the flesh until one day in August when you opened the jar. Compare that hideous stench, choking, miserable, terrifying, to the odour here now, the same, coming from the water in your house. Try the knob for the hot water and repeat. Sniff your hands, flinch, scrub them dry with a dish towel until they hurt. Wonder how long the stink will stick to your skin. Check the bathroom down the hall, and the one upstairs. Open those taps, now ring them closed, barricading yourself from the fumes rolling like invisible poison from the water. Run the bath and discover the same. Stop and think. Consider the toilet. Push the handles so that the bowl empties, the water shrinks away, the water replenishes. Cringe at the odour filling the bowl, the room, your lungs again, as you stifle the urge to vomit, the toilet waiting patiently under you. Get out before this happens. Return to the kitchen, take the last clean glass from the cabinet and fill it with a shot from the tap. Hold the water to the light and wonder how it can look so clear, so pure, when holy Jesus Christ it smells so utterly rancid. Pour it out, discard the glass into the bin. Notice how the rankness persists even when the taps are off, as though once released it has permission to reside here forever. Open windows. Spray cologne around the house like a rite of exorcism. Hold a cloth over your nose, hoping to filter out what impurity has invaded the air you breathe. Speculate why this makes you afraid. Dig around the shed until you find the book Margaret bought for you for Christmas, the, year, the first year you were married. The Owner's Guide to Home Repair. Refer to page 238 in the plumbing chapter, which contains three medium-sized paragraphs pertaining to water odour. Follow these suggestions. Call on your nearest neighbour, a retired old widower named Pat, who shares your public water supply, who is always happy to help when Margaret asks him as a favour to collect your mail while the two of you visit her parents in Killarney, an annual event which cannot be avoided, despite your dislike for her parents, despite your reluctance to allow Pat as a witness to, to your private affairs, your substantial bills, your letters from the banks that require secret trips to the mailbox when you are home, to intercept and hide them before Margaret can see. Ask Pat if he's noticed any trouble with his water. Thank him when he checks and says no. Pretend to be interested in dinner some night. You, him, Margaret, then hang up on the lonely old man. Remove the panels from your ceilings, room by room, and examine the pipes. Spend hours hunting for old iron that may, may be the source of bacteria, the kind that stinks like death. Crinkle your nose at the smell in these crawl spaces, but find nothing that matches the descriptions, the illustrations in your book. Just smooth black PVC tubes slithering through the walls and floors like huge headless snakes. Decide you will not call a plumber to snoop around your house. Return the ineffective owner's guide to home repair to its shelf in the shed. Go without washing so that your hands smudge, your fingernails darken with grime, your body turns sticky and unpleasant after a week without showering. Conclude that something is dead, that somewhere in the belly of those PVC snakes winding through your house, a small animal has fallen prey, crawled through a drain or corroded hole to die and decompose. Imagine a rat like this, twisted and slick and gooey like some awful melting candy, souring the water as 
The current runs through the clogged pipe and discharges like pus into your sinks and tubs and toilets. Take apart the panels in the ceiling again. Begin a second sweep of the piping, this time examining every surface, every joint, every connection so closely that it takes hours to satisfy your, yourself that there are no open cracks. Make trip after trip to the hardware store, buying new pipes of shiny copper and steel to replace any that warrant concern, any that appear weakened or rusty, any that you can possibly suspect as a source of decay. Replace them all, but find nothing un unusual. No dead rat, no carrion of any sort, once you've taken the old pipes apart and peered inside. Try the taps again. Surrender at last to the nausea that has haunted you for days. Pour your sickness into the sink as the reeking water urges you on. Call the public water authority. Tell them about the smell. Tell them you cannot live like this. Realize that the man on the phone is indifferent to your distress, that there is nothing he will do to help you. Not when 2,000 homes in your town share the same water source and you are the only one to complain. Realize what this means. Feel your heart strike, the painful spasm in your chest. You breathe faster now. Interrupt the man's suggestions, the same useless ones you've been offered by the owner's guide to home repair, and ask the exact source of your water, though of course you know the answer before he tells you, before the words bash your skull like a blow from the 18-inch cast iron wrench in your toolbox, Blessington Lake Reservoir. Think of Margaret, think of her that evening last month when she discovered your lies, your business failures, how desperate you've become. Think of the words she shouted Words like fraud and criminal and divorce and jail. Think for later that night at Blessington Lake, splayed on the shore like the crab you found in Sandy Mount. Hang up on the man repeating, sir, sir, and recall the drive in the darkness to Blessington Lake. Margaret finally silent on the floor in your back seat, her head soft and broken, the trees black like prison bars as you pulled off the road and picked a path through the evergreens down to the water, a stumbling, strenuous trek with Margaret in your arms and your cramped fingers hooked through the handle of your larger suitcase, until at last you collapsed at the shore and filled the suitcase first with rocks and then with Margaret. Remember how cold the water felt as you waded into the lake, towing the suitcase until you could go no further without being pulled under, out where it was deep enough to push Margaret off inside her submersible coffin sending her sinking and sliding down the slope of the lake floor to an untold resting place. Imagine her now at the bottom of that reservoir, stuck in the black muck and vile reeds, the suitcase waterlogged and fallen apart, her corpse fat and half-devoured by fish, Margaret fizzing with decay, particles of death peeling away from her, set free into the water, into the supply, into the pipes, a funeral procession of stink and foulness, Margaret's body coming home speck by speck in the currents. Moan as the stench intensifies, burning your throat. Moan in fear. Lie in bed at night and listen to the pipes in your house moaning too, the pressure mounting as the water pushes harder and harder through the catacombs of steel and copper winding hidden within your home, making each pipe tremble and rattle and bang from inside the walls, the ceiling, the floor, above you, below you, next to you. Cover your ears, try to ignore it. Now cover your nose and shake your head to dispel that unforgivable odour, the fury of the pipes, the memory. Detect a whisper coming from your bathroom. What could be a trickle of water or could be her voice? Darling. Deny it. Deny it. You can't. Stagger from your bed, every footstep a bare white scream. Force yourself to the bathroom. Flip on the light. Look around you. Listen to the pipes tearing at the walls. The porcelain tiles wild with echo. The odour fiercer and fiercer like hand around your neck, dragging you to the shower stall. 
Whimper, you pathetic thing. Throw open the curtain and step inside. Vomit the odor so intense. Raise your dirty face to the shower head, knocking and quaking above you. Scream, no, 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 but you must. Accept it all, the memory, the monstrous pounding of the pipes, the stench of slaughterhouses. Reach out a hand and turn the water on. Let her rush over you, hot and angry. God, what was that? That would make a great short film. Of just this man running around the house, like, mm. smelling his hands and getting really stressed. Wait, why did he murder her? I don't know. He's There's only one line that hinted at it. What was it? It was so good because it was so easy to picture yeah, everywhere. Yeah, it was. Mm. Your substantial bills, your letters from the banks that require secret trips to the mailbox when you are home to intercept. Also called a fraud, right? We didn't all just happen to remember that together. <laughs> Think of words she shouted, like words like fraud, criminal, and divorce, and jail. So, I don't know. I remember some... that bit. God. And what website was that again? Nightmare Magazine. Is it Irish? No, I made it Irish. Oh. Ah. Definitely puts you in that position. I could see her in the suitcase. Mm, me too. In like, like that, but that has been subject to a lot of TV shows. <laughs> oh, there's this podcast called, I think it's called Knife Point Podcast, mm-hmm. and he just it's just him telling stories like this. It's really good. Have you listened to it? I listened to a couple of episodes trying to because he says you can use his stories. That's pretty cool. Anyway, like. Shout out to, what's it called again? Knife Point. Cool. All right, guys. So that was our podcast on scary stories. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any scary stories of your own, make sure to uh, let us know about them. Email them or drop a line somewhere, Facebook or whatever. Twitter. Tweet us. Um, And we'll be back next week with another spooky-ish podcast for Halloween. Thanks for listening. Shout out to Hannah. See you next week. Bye. Bye.